The following audio content is a talk from Convergence, a service for young adults at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at upc.org forward slash young adults. You're joining in on a, on a series that we've been uh, doing on communication. It's, it's one that kind of piqued my interest a little while ago. And as, as I was uh, at, at a class, I was just thinking, what would it look like? Communication is something that we deal with every day. It affects almost everything we do. It's our relationships. It's work. It's it's even as we think about sharing uh, the gospel. Communication matters. But just because we're uh, sending messages out there doesn't necessarily mean that they're being heard. Just because we're trying to get people to listen to. uh, I mean, some of us, in a sense, scream out all the time, can you hear me? And we have a sense that we want to be known and yet... uh, Oftentimes it feels like nobody's even listening. And so the the question for us as we think about this series is not only does it look like to communicate, but what is good communication? Fruitful communication. Because it can be powerful. We see that one of the fascinating things at the beginning of Genesis is that, that God begins to create everything by the power of speech. It has a creative force to it. Um, so what does it look like for us to have fruitful communication? One of the things that you know, is inevitable when we start talking about communication, it's to talk about conflict. And uh, it's always out there. And in some senses, you know, we've touched on a number of things that, that are really great for conflict that you could use to, to navigate conflict well. But I wanted us to, to sort of take it head on uh, tonight. And so I shaved a conflict beard. Can you see it? It's kind of, you're scared, aren't you? It's okay. You're safe here, but it's, I know you're scared. Because I want you know, because it's all about we got to we're going to get into it. So we're going to get into it a little bit tonight, and I'm going to invite a couple people up to do it. Uh, Shannon, my lovely wife, give it up. And Dave. Uh, for, yeah, you can hold on. Is this on? Oh, it's. And on. I just want you to know, I've shaved my conflict legs. Oh. Oh, glory. You get Anyways, oh, it's got. Did we talk about levels of intimacy? Where did we go? Is that? Right. I love it. This is, this is why you need to get to know my wife. But listen, here, here's what I wanted to do. I, there's so many, uh, there are so many things we could talk about when it comes to conflict, and we're not going to cover all of them. And, uh, and So that's why I want to encourage you. If you have questions, there are, there are cards you can write down, a question on the back. There are for sure going to be instances that we're going to talk about, and you're going to go, yeah, but what about for this? Well, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have some time to, to just talk about uh, questions and, and, and kind of get into the nitty-gritty of it. But what I want to do is we're going to do, like, in a sense, one talk, but from but three perspectives, three different people. Uh, as we begin to think about th- this area of conflict, obviously people uh, that I know and respect really well. Here's the deal. We, we love conflict, don't we? I mean, we love it, right? I mean, it's what makes the office so great, Right? <laughs> It's Jim Halpert and Dwight just going at each other again and again. I mean, it's fun. We, we love to see, we love to kind of see our adrenaline gets going when we see kind of people, you know, kind of digging each other or, or they one-up each other or, or they, they're able to, to, to get a point that the other person isn't able to, to make. We love to see somebody on the hot seat, don't we? Just getting fried. There's a 30 Rock that I love, and I forget what they're spoofing, but they, essentially it was a talk show, and, and basically uh, the host in this, uh, this instance asked a question, and then they had like four people that all just started yelling at once, right? You've seen that. Sometimes that's what we see, is that conflict looks like just a bunch of people yelling at each other. 
but not necessarily going anywhere. Well, conflict makes things interesting, too. I mean, it's the, it's the stuff of life. I mean, we run into conflict all the time in, in little things and in big things. We love it. It's interesting. It's why, it's why the news media so often will create a conflict, even if there isn't a conflict there. Because it gets us going. And we know that it's powerful. It's that shot of adrenaline in which we love to see conflict happen. Pretty different, though, when we're in the midst of it, isn't it? Pretty different when, when it's in our families and when it's in our relationships. Pretty different when we begin to see the way that conflict is actually, for the most part, destructive. It divides people. We see the, what it will do in, in some of our families, and some of us come from places in which we just haven't seen conflict work well at all. And, it, and so we end up spending most of our time avoiding conflict, personally. Unless we're kind of getting in, into a, a battle with someone, and then we you know, rev up for it. You know, if it's out there, great. But interpersonally, we end up avoiding conflict quite a bit because we're not really sure what to do with it. And so often it is destructive. We haven't seen it being been done well, but that doesn't mean that we need to avoid conflict. I was at a, a meeting uh, here, and, and we were talking about kind of team dynamics and, and a, as a leadership meeting, and we were looking at uh, a book I'm going to reference in a little bit, and, and we were talking about just about how you know, uh, conflict can be really, really hard. And I, uh, one of my good, good friends here uh, looked across the table and started laughing and pointed right at me. He's like, yeah, most people hate conflict except for you. You love it. It was my conflict beard at the time. It was scaring him. Uh, and I, I remember laughing, and, and the thing is, some of us have more of a bent, more of an aggressive bent to us. Some of us have a, a little bit more of a sense of, uh, of we don't mind leaning into things, but I don't love conflict for conflict's sake. The, thing that, the main point that I want to make tonight is that conflict, conflict can be the very thing that will bring about depth of relationship, creativity, can open your eyes to a whole new uh, paradigm or dynamic that you never even thought possible. It is vital to your own growth as a person. Okay, it sounds simple, but I don't think most of us approach conflict in a very different way. Let me say that again. Conflict is the thing. I believe this, and this is why, this is why I laughed when my friend pointed, kind of pointed me out, because I love it, because conflict is the thing in which we can begin to get past some of the big hurdles whether it be at work, whether it be in our relationships, whether it be in our own life. It happens through conflict. Creativity comes out of conflict. Depth of relationships comes out of conflict. If only we could learn how to do conflict well. A couple quotes for you. You've heard about John Gottman a lot. Uh, Julie talked to him about him a little bit. Dave has talked um, about him a bit. Here's his question. Here's a quote from him. If there's one lesson I've learned from my years of research, and remember, he, he's done tons and tons and tons of, of research on, on couples, and especially and how they interact. If there's one lesson I've learned from my years of research is that a lasting marriage results from the couple's ability to resolve conflicts uh, that are inevitable in any relationship. Conflict is inevitable in every, in every relationship. If we can learn how to take it on well, uh, our relationships can go to a greater depth. It's why when I do premarital counseling sometimes, I'm not interested in just making sure that everybody's happy. I want to figure out what a conflict is. What I want to do sometimes is highlight it. 
I'm not interested in, in spoiling a couple's parade, but what I want to do is say, look, here's the areas in which you'll probably have some disagreement. And by the way, as much as you love each other and you can't see anything wrong with the other person right now, guaranteed you will be pissed at them at some point. But that's fine. That is not what matters. Your marriage will not break up because of it. It's going to be an opportunity for something. So let's talk about how to, how to do it well. We know that some of us have experienced that sense of, of seeing relationships in which there was no conflict allowed at all. And we saw not, it didn't actually help things. It actually drove people apart, perhaps people in our own family. Patrick Lencioni, he's a, a guy, he writes on, uh, he does a lot of leadership stuff, writes on uh, teams. He, this is a book called Five Dysfunctions of, uh, of a Team. He says this, All great relationships, the ones that last, last over time, require productive conflict in order to grow. This is true in marriage, in parenthood, in friendship, and certainly in business. He goes on to say, it can be easy to mistake uh, productive conflict from, from conflict that can be um, really destructive because you're going to see passion, you're going to see emotion, you're going to see frustration coming out. And you can easily go, oh man, I know how this is going to go. It's going to go badly. He goes on to say, but teams that engage in productive conflict know that the only purpose is to produce the best possible solution in the shortest period of time. They discuss and resolve issues more quickly and completely than others. And they emerge from heated debates with no residual feelings or collateral damage, but with an eagerness and readiness to take on the next important issue. I mean, how many of you have sat in meetings where we're discuss- you're discussing something and you're, you know, you know that what they're talking about is just totally crazy? Anybody? Am I the only one? That, it, that if we go ahead with this plan... This new marketing plan, this new strategy, it is going to be a disaster. I've sat in those meetings and I've looked over at my friend and just been like, I can't wait to mop this one up because I'm going to have to do it. We've been in those meetings before. Sometimes we think, well, we get in these situations, we think there's no room for conflict and that somehow if if we all get along, that, that that's going to be really good. It's not good. The best solutions, the most creative solutions come at the point of conflict. Let me tell you a quick story. We might have to edit this out of the, out of the, <laughs> the podcast. I love this story. I've been waiting to tell it for a long time. <laughs> Tuesday night, this, this ministry is called Tuesday Night Worship. Okay, Tuesday Night Worship was great. James B. and Renee did a great job with this. With it, but it had its own integrity to it. Uh, when we came in, we moved in a little bit of different directions, but in a lot of ways, in the same way. One of the things that was pretty apparent is we need to have, uh, we need to do uh, some renaming, just because we need to start owning something that we can all jump in on that that means something for us. Okay, some of the leaders here are, are, are laughing because they know about this. So I hate naming. Okay, that's the other thing about this. I knew thought it was important. I hate naming. Okay. We went around and around. I tried to engage the leaders on it. They just got, stared at me blankly. They didn't want a name either, okay? They hated it. So finally, I came up with a name, and I'm not going to tell you what it is. Okay? I thought it was the most innocuous name ever. Okay? It seemed like it was great. It had a scriptural tie-in. I was all jazzed about it. Yeah, Paul, all this kind of stuff. Then, come to find out, and I start shopping it around. I, I'm ready to go. We're almost painting it on this banner, actually. And suddenly, one of the guys that was on my leadership team, and I'm so thankful for him, sheepishly kind of in an email, I mean, it was an email, but it's kind of like, you don't think I'm a perv or anything. 
But just letting you know that some of my friends, that name that, that you're proposing to, to name the whole ministry, the name that we're going to invite people to, it, it's, it's got pretty heavy sexual overtones on it. Okay, I'm not going to go any further than that. All that to say is our men's ministry might have gone through the roof. But it, it just was not, it, it, was, it was, I needed that information. I, need, I needed to hear that, and it wasn't going to serve anybody any good. In fact, it was going to be, a, Dave knows a little bit about this, it would have been a total, it would have been the worst thing, but it just would have been like one of those things, like, come on. But I needed somebody to say something, even if it meant conflict, even if it meant bursting my bubble. I'm so thankful that they did. Last thing. Uh, last quote. I'm going to quote from the Bible on this one. You'll be happy to know. Proverbs 27. It's our verse for tonight. Better is the open rebuke than the hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. I wanted to, I wanted to have that be our verse tonight because what I want to do is I want to highlight that... I want to highlight that this, we have to learn how to conflict well, and that it is not love simply to, to blow sunshine in, in the places in which we work, with our friends, with our spouses. That there are those times, and I think some of you know, where you are longing to have a friend tell you the truth instead of just smile at you, right? And walk the other way. But there are, the, there are wounds from friends that, that can be totally healing in our lives. That's the friendship that matters. That's the kind of friendship that begins to help us live into the very best of who we are. So my question for us, and I'm going to go through this real quickly because I want you to hear from these guys more than me, but is what's your posture? What is your posture on conflict? How, what, honestly, what, how do you view it? Because how you view it and your posture on it is going to have everything to do with how you then begin to to live it out. And what I want to do is clearly have for us out there that conflict can be unbelievably fruitful in our lives. So is your posture this, as I was thinking about this today, it was a little bit, you know, some of us, it's a, there's like a shrinking back. Some of our posture, it's like we're, we're trying to avoid it at all costs. You know, whatever we can do to sort of maintain kind of a, a status quo, make sure that we keep everybody happy. Our, our posture is this because we fundamentally believe not that conflict can bring about something good and fruitful, but that conflict is going to always end up badly and usually it's going to end up badly for me. And so we go through life like this. Okay, and this is, this is not just... Not just a, a male or female thing, it's everybody. It just looks different. A lot of times this is what happens in churches. We have this, this sense, this wrong idea that what we need to do is we need to make sure that we all get along and so we all smile really nicely at each other and, and pretend like nothing is wrong when there are huge elephants in the room. It looks like this sense of being stonewalling or icy or cold. And we think that if only we just stay away from conflict that everything will be okay. But we know that it doesn't. And then more often, if there is conflict and we're avoiding it, we're not going to get, things aren't going to get better. Things are going to get worse. It just might be that we get really isolated from one another. 
some of us, though, we, we come in a different way. And I think it, it's, it, it's pretty similar. We view it fundamentally as not a good thing, but it's something that we got to be first in. And so our posture is to jump in. We start swinging. I mean, we're, we walk around. Some of us can do that. We walk around with our fists up in the air, ready to take everyone on, because we know if we don't hit first, we're going to get taken out. That, that we know that conflict really is about domination and winning. Someone has to be right, and someone is going to get hurt, and at least it's not going to be me again. You're in a place of isolation. You're in a place where there's, you're creating division where there could be new unity, where there could be a new sense of something that could spring forward and be fruitful. This, I too, I think as well, is sometimes is the church. Not only do we avoid conflict sometimes in the church, but we're afraid to share our, our faith or who we are or what is true at all. And then we swing to the other side and, and we begin to think that... It, we have to get out there and, and we have to proclaim the truth and we have to, and we have to take an, an aggressive stance because if we don't, you know, those, whoever, bad, secular, pagan, anti-religious, they're going to win the day and we got to get in there and we got to win the day. And sometimes the problem though with that is not that we should shy away from the truth and what we have. Absolutely not. But sometimes the very tools that we use for conflict are the very tools that people are, are rejecting, not because our message is bad, but because our tools are simply the tools that they see out in the world. And you go, if real, that looks no different than what I see out there. I don't care what your message is. It doesn't do anything different. Unchristian is a book that's out there. It's one of many talks, tries to get a sense of well, what are the perceptions around, um, what are the perceptions around Christianity? says, one crucial insight kept popping up again and again. They, they, they talked to a bunch of people who were not in, a, in church and just asked, what are your perceptions around Christianity? One crucial insight kept popping up in our exploration. In studying thousands of outsiders' impressions, it is clear that Christians are primarily perceived for what they stand against. We have became, become famous for what we oppose rather than, for, uh, rather than who we are for. Outsiders believe Christians do not like them because of what they do, how they look, or what they believe. They feel minimized or worse, demonized by those who would say they love Jesus. Last posture is this, is that I would say we can't shrink back, we can't go all in. But we have to stand in that place with the belief that God can bring about something new. I think it's the posture of Christ. It's the posture that comes with arms wide open, that does not back down from falsehood and evil, but also does not go in swinging. It, it, it's the kind of posture that is a game changer, that people don't know what to do with, that, that, people, that people begin to say, I, I don't know how to handle you because you should be running or you should be fighting, but I don't know what it looks like for you just to stand in there. And here's what I think happens. A lot of times we either we're shrinking back, we're avoiding what's right there in front of us. Or, or, or we're going forward and we're making sure that nobody touches this thing, and, and this thing that is between us or within a group or whatever. Nobody touches it. Nobody says any, anything about it. What, ha what Jesus does is He comes in and He says, look... Separate out a little bit. What I want to talk about is not who wins or loses or, or, or a bunch of other fights that don't matter. I want to talk about this thing right here. 
this thing. It's awkward, I'm bringing it up. It's hard, I'm bringing it up. But, but this very thing that, that you're trying to protect by either running away or, 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 or going all in, this very thing is the very thing that will free you, that will free me, that, that will bring about something that the world has never seen. One of the things that I want to clearly say in some ways, well, let me say this, part of my message tonight is these guys. Because I think these guys have taken the posture of Christ with me. They, they have not run away. They have not attacked me. I know that they are 100% for me. But because of that, because of that, I have grown and we have grown in relationship with, with one another. It is not because of, uh, we don't have any conflict in our life with Dave and with Shannon that they have become such an important part of my life. It is because of that conflict that Shannon and I have grown as close as we have. That, that I have had an unbelievable change in my life because Dave has been willing to walk with me through some pretty difficult conversations where we're toe-to-toe on stuff. It's what makes them interesting. It's what makes them the kind of people you want to be around. That's my... So, we're done. <laughs> Shannon, I, I ask you to think about this as we thought about conflict. What, is, what came up for you? Well, John. Um, <laughs> well, I'm really glad to be here. I don't get to be here very much. We have two little boys, and so often on Tuesday nights, I'm thinking about all of you, but I am at home uh, watching, like, The Bachelor or something. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just Wow, kidding. safe place. <laughs> Not that safe. No. I am at home caring for our young children is what I'm doing. I'm praying for all of you. Um, all right um so i love the title of this series and as i was really you know i've had the opportunity to listen to a couple of the talks over the last few weeks and uh before i even listened to them though i was kind of thinking about communication and conflict and i was like what just what comes off the top of my head and sort of my sentence was um, when, you know, I enter into conflict, I don't necessarily need to have resolve, but I need to feel like I'm heard. And I think that was really um, evident in um, Julie's talk last week, um, especially when she said that, you know, uh, know, strong predictor of whether a marriage is going to succeed is if, the wife feels heard, hmm. right? <laughs> yes, dear. <laughs> so, I hear you. Yes, thank you. Thank you. He is a good listener. He really is. Uh, it takes all my flack. Um, but you know, needing to be heard is honest and real. And another thing um, that is honest and real and is hard um, is to be vulnerable. Yeah, I do believe that good and fruitful conflict and communication really starts at this place. So tonight I get to talk about vulnerability. Um, John and I uh, met at Camp Furwood, as probably some of you might know. We both worked there for five summers throughout college and high school and everything. That's where we met. And we both had the opportunity during the summertime to be challenge course facilitators. I don't know if any of you have had the opportunity to be on a challenge course or 
be a facilitator, but it is a ton of fun. You take groups through low elements and high elements. And um, at Furwood, one of the big things at the end is to do this thing called the leap of faith. And uh, you climb up this really tall pole. I don't know how high it is, 20 feet up or something at least. And it's wobbling, and you're uh, trying to honestly, like, get on, like, the hardest spot is when you're, like, this, and you're, like, standing there, and you're, like, oh, my gosh, do I put, how do I put my next foot up? And then you're, then you're on the top, and you're standing there, and you're, you're standing there, and you're thinking, do I jump? What's going to happen if I don't catch that bar? Because there's this bar that's literally six feet out in front of you or more, and you're trying to catch it. And so you struggle, and you ponder, and you're sort of stuck there. And eventually, hopefully, you decide to go for it. Um, And you leap, and you risk. And then you hope you catch that bar. And in the process, you actually end up building a really strong trust with the person that is on the ground, talking you through it, and catching you if you miss that bar and lowering you to the ground um, slowly. And I think that vulnerability is like the sleep of faith because you don't always know where it's going to land. Like you don't always know where you're going to land on that leap of faith. And um, as Dave said a couple weeks ago in your 15 tips for telling the truth, you have to accept loss as a possible consequence. And you have to accept that loss of a relationship or a dream or whatever it is or a friendship um, might come as a result of taking that leap of faith and taking that step of being vulnerable. So John and I have been married for almost 10 years. Crazy. And uh, our first year of marriage, we were living in Bellingham, just hanging out, having fun, working, being with each other every night. It was fabulous. Um, But during that year, we really thought and prayed about the next step, and we decided that we were going to move to Vancouver, Canada, so that he could go to Regent College, which is a seminary up there. And we saved money, and we worked hard, and we prayed, and we moved to Vancouver. And it was really exciting. Um, But when I got up there, I learned an important lesson, and that is that Shannon does not like transition. And uh, I was totally away from my friends and people that I felt knew me. Um, I just spent a year in a job uh, in Bellingham that I really did not enjoy, Um, working hard and saving money so John could go to school. We got to Vancouver. Luckily, I got a job right away um, as a temp at the University of British Columbia, Um, essentially filing papers, which was fine for the time being. Um, That only lasted a little while, but as I was filing papers and being extremely lonely, um, this is what I thought John was doing. He was hanging out at Regent, having fun with all of his friends, (laughs) drinking lattes in the atrium, and that life was just like perfect for him because he was around people all the time, and that's kind of how I'm geared more. I love being with people, and um, I just didn't think it was fair. Um... The only groups that really seemed to be for my population of person, which is a spouse of a student, was uh, a room full of women breastfeeding. That's (laughs) what it felt like. And we were nowhere near having children. And so, (laughs) really, 
I would come home from this group and be like, dear Lord. <laughs> All they talk about is kids and breastfeed. Um, our apartment, we were in a basement suite, which I don't know how many of you live in basement suites right now, but they're everywhere in Vancouver. And it was dark and cold and... Um, we had several squirrels that died in the ventilation system. And so the vents are in the ceiling, so it would blow dead squirrel on you. And it was horrible. We could, it was really bad. John might have told you this story before, but it was really bad. Um, you know, we had this blissful first year of marriage where we had all this time together, and then all of a sudden John was you know, at school all the time and studying all the time. And every night he was writing a paper or something. I had to get a Canadian driver's license. John did not. Totally not fair. I came home from the, do you remember this? Oh my gosh. I have been li very livid a couple times in my life. I was livid. I tore up our house practically swearing left and right. And it was because sometimes Canadians are their systems are just a little off. <laughs> My son's a Canadian, so I love him. But I just really, <laughs> I, I really, I really struggled with selfishness and loneliness and all of these things. And I blamed him. I really did. Um, every time we drove, like if we came down to Bellingham to visit our friends or Seattle, every time we drove back. I am not kidding. For an entire year, as soon as we crossed the border, I would start crying. And uh, eventually, you had a low compassion meter. That's what we call it now. Um, he just had no more compassion left for me. And from John's perspective, you know, he grew up in a rural town. He's pretty okay being by himself. Uh, he was hoping to live the adventure. Um, and he kind of felt like I had switched the deal on him, which I kind of did. Um, he was kind of carrying the stress of school and my negativity and stress. And we really got to the point where we were super distant, um, resentful, angry. Um, and we really kind of thought, I'm sure you probably thought this more than I thought, but who did I marry? Um, and so it was really, and it was in February, could have been like February 2nd, two thousand whatever, two <laughs> or something, we um, went on a walk down uh, at this beautiful beach in Vancouver called Jericho Beach. I don't know if you know Vancouver at all, but all the beaches kind of look on the city and the mountains, and it's just so dramatic. It's beautiful. Um, and we were so quiet, and we really had no idea what we were going to say to each other. But we both knew that we needed to say something because we were just at a really bad spot. And... <clears throat> Eventually, we both just looked at each other, and it almost seemed like it was like at the same time, just said, I am so disappointed in our marriage and in you. Um, and we really didn't know. It was so scary to say, and we really did not know where that was going to land with the other person. Um, but, you know, neither one of us really wanted to be married to the people that we were becoming or that we were at that point. And so it almost felt like, do we give up? I mean, I, I really had thoughts of like, I don't know if I can do this, you know, for the next however many years. Um, it was so frightening. 
and it was super freeing and it was like a huge weight was lifted at that moment. Please don't think that all of a sudden all of our problems were solved because they weren't. Um, but we found ourselves in an extremely vulnerable spot. Um, but the thing that really impresses upon me is that it felt right. It felt right to be in that spot. And this conversation, you know, through a lot of work and conversations and being together and just working through all this junk, um, really brought us to a place where our dear, dear friends, the Hallgrens, um, said, wow, you know, we really noticed that something has changed in the both of you and you're not individuals anymore. It feels like you finally become the Eps. And that was really significant for us because we were really kind of operating in separate worlds and just, you know, of course we're individuals, but we were a married couple, but we were not operating like it. And so I feel like that conversation kind of moved us to the spot of team, which we were meant to be. And, um, we just started having more fun together and we started living more adventurously together and doing all the things that, that we wanted to do. So that, um, is just a really significant point in, in my life and in our life of being vulnerable and doesn't, I'm, you know, this is just a really significant story to me. You can be vulnerable in any kind of a situation, whether it be a friendship or a family relationship, um, or, a you know, dating relationship. Um, so I'm going to let these guys give you more of kind of all the theological stuff. Cause you know, that's what they do. Um, but I guess I just want to pose a few questions to you guys tonight. And, um, the first thing I thought about is, you know, what is that vulnerable step that you need to take that is not necessarily about who wins, like John was saying earlier, um, but about making that relationship or that friendship or that work situation or whatever it may be better. And what's the thing that is between you and another person? Think about articulating these things um, in a way that communicates both the issue um, as well as care about that person and that situation. Um, and I really think that this kind of vulnerability um, builds trust and it builds a firm foundation and ultimately leads to fruitfulness in everything that we do. So thank you. Great. Still on? Okay, great. Okay, so to wrap it up, I'm going to give you a um, one of the things that I love about Jesus, what Jesus was doing all the time, um, was challenging people's blueprints. So I'm going to talk to you about the idea of blueprints. And um, uh, in John 6 is one of my favorite passages. It's this crucial moment where Jesus is walking along with, there's just disciples are gathering by, uh, by, by just the masses or people are following him because their blueprint is finally... The Savior's come. And what that's going to look like is we're going to get on the bandwagon now. We're going to get in on the early, you know, part of this movement. And it's just going to get better and better and better and better. That's the way it's going to go. We've been waiting for this. And you can imagine little tiny Peter, who has grown up to be this fisherman. He's been hearing this since he was a kid. He's been hearing about the day. The day is going to come. His, his mom would have been telling him. His dad would have been telling him. His grandparents would have been talking to him about it. We, you know that we're in this, this kind of a place of oppression right now, but there's going to come a time when, when the Savior, the Messiah, is going to come. 
And how it's going to be is that He is going to deliver us. He is going to restore our kingdom. Um, they had grown up in a, in a, in a, in, in, under the, under foreign rule. They're, they've watched the temple of God get destroyed um, and not be rebuilt. They're, they're, and they're waiting for this day when finally someone's going to come in who's got whatever it takes to be able to do that. And what Jesus does in John 6 is he starts talking about, I got news for you. The story that you've heard is right, but it's not going to happen the way you think it's going to happen. And he's, what he's doing right there is he's challenging that blueprint of it's going to go this way, then it's going to go this way, and it's going to end this way. He starts challenging them and saying, actually, how it's going to get is it's going to get a lot harder. And you're going to watch me go through something that is excruciating. He's not even letting them know completely what that's going to be, but he's saying, this is going to get really hard. And not only is it going to get hard for me, but if you're going to follow me, it's going to get hard for you. And it says right there, it says that many left him that day and followed him no more. And then there's this moment, and I love this moment, because I can just imagine watching Jesus. Jesus says this. He says, I knew this was going to happen. I've known this was going to happen. I knew this mass of people around me that was gathering around me. These aren't the people that are going to stick. But then he's got this check moment with Peter where he turns around. I'll read it for you. It says, it says, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with Jesus anymore. And Jesus says, therefore, to the twelve, he says, you do not want to go away also, do you? And there's something neat about the way he says, you don't want to go away. Also, something kind of vulnerable there that moment. I can imagine Jesus feeling a little bit vulnerable. He says, you don't want to go away too, do you? And Simon Peter is always the guy to step forward, step up, speak first. Answered him and says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. What Peter was able to do was let his blueprint of how it's going to go change. So the challenge that I have is that idea of us walking around and saying, what's your conflict blueprint? What's the, what's the blueprint that you carry around? And maybe it's from where you grew up, conflict goes a certain way, kind of like what John was saying, there's a certain posturing. Or maybe you come from a family where being vulnerable, that is just not going to happen. Wouldn't have been safe. Some of you come around, come from families where it's like gunslingers. You know, it's like, anybody old enough to know the movie Silverado? Oh, go see. Don't walk, run, go see Silverado. Um, but there's these great, there's this great scene where, um, where, where, like at the end of the day, at the end of the day, there's this gunfight, and it's it's kind of like at the end of the day, who's left standing wins. It's kind of like what John was saying. That's kind of the style. It's like you just let fire, boom, 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 and you're not even thinking about the words because your blueprint is, look, it's going to be blaze, blaze, blaze. And I'm going to use words that I can because I remember that thing that you did, you know, 18 years ago. I can bring it up. Boom, boom, bullets, 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 and then everybody's, ah, 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 you got me. Oh, I'll never forget that. Ah, 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 ah you know, and you're, everybody's laying down, and you kind of, I'm last one standing. I win. My blueprint is blaze away, and at the end, hope you're still alive. Some of you come from lawyer families. Your blueprint is the lawyer family where everybody starts, well, it's this, and they start laying out their point against you as if you're going to go, you know, thanks. I had not thought of it that way. Uh, you're right. 
I concede to you. You're, you win. Your case was better than my case, and I concede. And you know, you, so you start preparing in your mind. You already have a blueprint of how it's going to go. I'm going to start thinking of all the reasons why I'm right and they're wrong. Like John was saying, this kind of win-lose kind of a scenario. So you're already thinking, and before you're, you're going into, you've got your case. So you're not listening you're not in that moment on the beach where you can hear anything because you're so full of your own arguments. You have to hold them in. And if you're like me, your brain is small. If you tilt your head, some of your points drop out. and You can't, you can't afford that. It's like, okay, get through your point, get through your point, because now I'm going to prove that you're wrong. And so you go into it like that. Um, some of you have the poker family where everybody's kind of holding their cards and no one's breaking a face. And everybody's kind of waiting to see what everybody else is going to show. And then maybe you'll show a card. But maybe you won't. You might not. Depends. You might be able to win without showing any cards. And then you walk away and you take all the money. It's just a great, great, you win. Money, all the money is yours. They win nothing. So that one of the things that I would say is, is to kind of put some legs on some of this stuff is just say, what, what, some work you can do when you're walking around tomorrow is just to kind of say, what's the blueprint I come from? What's the beginning, the middle, and the end of how I know conflict? And, and, and to challenge yourself and say, okay, what if I were the first person in my family to change the conflict blueprint? What if Jesus is calling me to be a pioneer in saying, Change what you know. What if there's a commission from Jesus to you to say, I want you to change it? Now, here's two ways, two, two little kind of tips on, on how to be, begin that. And i got to let you know, I struggle with this all the time. I, I definitely come from the gunslinger family. And so I, I'm struggling with this all the time. I have to work on this. And, and, and one of the reasons why I love John is that John and I, we have rewritten our conflict blueprints with each other for sure wouldn't you say that's true yeah for sure and um so here's a couple things one a little foresight if this conflict matters to you it might be worth a half an hour for you to go to starbucks sit down and write out what you're trying to say it might be worth it for you to write down and say, what's the most important thing I want you to hear? We talk about wanting to be heard. Sometimes it's hard to hear you because your main point is surrounded by so much stuff. A little bit of foresight into a really important conflict. When I have people get ready to go back and have conversations with their parents and my, and the, my own work with people... I always have them do the force to do this work first and have them and they'll come back and they'll usually read it with me because what I want them to do is I want them to kind of have that solidness of saying I know I make sense so that if you come from a family where your blueprint is we're going to try to prove the other person's crazy you know that blueprint the one that goes out feeling the most insane loses you can have that peace of mind knowing and saying, you know what? No, I know I make sense. I've read it on paper. And it does what my, my supervisor over at SPU, I spend 25% of my time over there, he calls it the light of day test. He says it's basically this idea that you can hold it up in front of 10 people and would 9 out of 10 of them go, yeah, makes sense. You want more intimacy. That's a very valid point. 
So if you can do that, that's one thing, just a little bit of foresight. Write it down. Maybe you've got a good, close friend where you can say, is this valid? Is this, is this something legitimate? I want you to be perfect in every moment. That's not going to stand the light of day test. Does that make sense? No. So you've got to rework it because if you're having an argument and that's what the person keeps hearing you tell them, it's never going to go anywhere. And the second, the second, the second one is prayer. Is honestly as simple as that sounds. I forget to do that all the time. I go and pray afterwards, or I might pray, you know, three days afterwards for cleanup of the wreckage. You know, God mop up what happened. But I'm. But my challenge is, okay, Lord, let me go in with Your Spirit and know. And this is sort of a. You kind of got to use your imagination. Is to visualize Jesus walking right with you. He's not afraid. He doesn't hate this person you're coming to. Jesus made this person you're coming to. They may be covered over, like we talked about, maybe covered over with lots and lots of stuff that makes it hard to find that pearl that's them. But he, I tell you, he made that pearl. So he's not worried about the two of you coming to try to get, like with John and Shannon were talking about, a better relationship. He wants that with us. So to visualize Jesus coming in, and he's calm, he's not afraid. He's also not coming in to take over. He's coming in and saying, look, I promise you, I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. I am with you till the end of days. I am going to be with you. So a little bit of prayer, a little bit of foresight to be clear about what you want to say and who it is that goes with you. Something to change the outcome of the blueprint of what you grew up with. Pray. Pray? Or do you want to wrap? What's that? you want me to pray or you want to wrap? I'll pray. Okay. Thanks. Lord, I uh, thank you for these guys and for the, the role that they've played in my life. Lord, um, this is an area that is really, really hard, and as much as we might have some success, we also can think of a lot of failures, a lot of times that we haven't done it well. A lot of ways in which the blueprint that we know uh, has uh, ended up hurting us, even if we don't know how to do any better. Lord, I pray that you start to transform that. Lord, Lord show us what our posture is and how that posture helps or hinders us. Lord, show us where to be vulnerable. Lord, show us where we can begin to do some work, maybe in our own family, of transforming our family line going on down. As we begin to think about coming at conflict totally different. Lord, I pray that the conflicts that are in this room that we're thinking of right now, Lord, I know that they're not going to be, they're not going to go away, they're not going to be easy, Lord, but I do pray for redemption in the midst of them. I pray that, that you bring about something new. Life, peace, a creative, something that is surprising. Praise in your name. Amen.